Well, thank you, Luke. Thanks for being here. It's a great pleasure to be with you. It's great to speak on the theme of grace, which I'm more than happy to do. And uh, I feel it's such a foundational truth for us. So let's just pray and we'll get into it, shall we? Father, we're so grateful to you for your kindness to us, your patience with us, your mercy. We thank you, Father, with all our hearts. And we do acknowledge our need to be instructed by the Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit, we pray. Rest upon us. Take the things of Christ. Reveal them to us. Open the eyes of our hearts that we might know, we might be secure in your grace, Father. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 I'm going to take a verse from Romans in chapter 5, really just a part of a verse, really. If you're trying to argue or at least interrupt the Apostle Paul, it's quite difficult because he keeps arguing this, therefore, therefore, therefore. Uh, chapter after chapter, he builds uh, on truth that is already established. And in chapter 5 of Romans, he is comparing and contrasting the disaster brought by Adam's rebellion and unbelief and the wonderful gift of God that comes through Jesus. And so he keeps saying, Adam did this, but Jesus did that. Adam ruined these things, Jesus put them right. And so just one of those verses, Romans chapter 5 and verse 17, when it says, if by the transgression of the one, that's Adam of course, death reigned through that one, much more, those who receive the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one Jesus Christ. They will reign in life. That's a very vivid phrase. It's kind of poetic, really. You're, you're reigning. You're on top. You're not underneath. You're not enduring. You're reigning in life. It's a kind of extravagant phrase. Uh, and it's not the only one like that in the, in the New Testament. It says he always leads us in his triumph. It says also, we're more than conquerors. We're not just conquerors, we're more than conquerors. And these are, as I say, kind of extravagant statements. This is the description of the Christian. He's reigning in life. He's more than a conqueror. And in our hearts, we kind of feel an echo to that. Yes, that's what I'm called to. But sadly, we, we kind of think, if only. Uh, you know, you might ask your wife, does that describe me? You know, you're reigning in life. You're more than a conqueror. Uh, and there kind of come times when you think, if only. I wish I was. Maybe you go to a conference and uh, you've put other things aside, you're listening to the preaching, there's opportunity to respond. Maybe you even come to the front and say, Lord, from now on, from now on, I want to reign in life. Or, or maybe, you know, you come to the end of the year and you look back and you think, Lord, that wasn't what I hoped for. You know, we're soon coming up to the end of the year. You get the new year. You know, you get a new diary. You haven't messed up one page yet. You think, Lord, new year, I'm going to do better this year. And the sad thing is this, that often at such a time, we kind of miss the point. Because it's great to find fresh motivation. It's always a blessing to get fresh motivation, fresh stirring. But it's almost like there's two doors and we go through the wrong door. We sort of say, well, I'm going to do it. How am I going to do it? Well... I, I am going to put my alarm clock back earlier. I'm going to pray longer. 
I'm going to read my Bible. I'll read the whole. I'm going to read the whole Bible through. I, you know, that's, that's like four chapters a day. I'm, I'm, going, I'm going to do it. I'm, I'm going to set myself. I heard one guy say, "I am going to witness to one person every day." And he told me his testimony. He said, I, I said, "I said to myself, I'm going to witness to one person every day." And he said, "I was exhausted one night. I'm just going to bed. I put my head on the pillow and I thought, I haven't witnessed to anybody today." So he got dressed and got out and he's hunting the streets to find someone to witness it because he'd, he'd set these rules. If I can keep these rules, I'll reign in life. And Paul says in Galatians 5 and verse 4, you who be justified by law have fallen away from grace. You who be justified by the things that you're doing, you're actually going to miss the point and you're going to tie yourself in knots and it isn't what the verse says. It doesn't say that if you live by these rules, you'll reign in life. It doesn't say that. And here he's saying to the Galatians, you, you've fallen from grace. Now that phrase has been sort of taken out of Paul's letter. You hear it talked about everywhere. You know, the sports commentators talk about a guy who's not chosen anymore, he's fallen from grace. And it's like, well, he doesn't come to church anymore. You know, he's, he's backslidden. And that isn't what Paul's saying. In Galatians, he's not talking about that at all. He's saying, you who be justified by law have fallen from grace. You've missed the point. Now, why does he write that? Well, he writes to the Galatians because the Galatians, well, he was in Galatia. He, he planted a church. Look, it sounds like a wonderful church. It says in Galatians 3, the presence of God is among them. Miracles are happening. I mean, he's gone to a pagan situation. He's led people to Jesus. There's a deposit of the presence of God. This is a great church. It's doing well. And then Paul, being an apostle, goes on to do it again somewhere else. He's left Galatia. And after he's left Galatia, the Judaizers move in. Well, who are the Judaizers? Well, they're Christians with a Jewish background. They've discovered the gospel, but they've kind of not got clear from their background. And they come in and say, hey, it's great. You Gentiles have received our Messiah. Our Bible's told us that you would receive, that the pagans would come, the Gentiles would come. Hey, welcome, welcome to our Messiah. This is such good news. Um, but we've known him for centuries. Um, if you really, really want to make sure all is well, uh, don't eat that kind of food. If I do keep the feast days and keep the Sabbath, and um, really you should get circumcised. In other words, they're saying, look, it's great you found the Messiah. It's great that you've kind of come, but... If you really want to make sure all is well, uh, we know what he requires. And really, you need to add these other things to make sure all is well. And Paul is furious. I, Galatians is his angriest letter. You fools, he says. Who has bewitched you? That's a strong word to use, isn't it? Who has bewitched you? What are you, what are you doing? You're getting thoroughly confused. He's really angry with them. He wants to get them away from that. Now, to be honest... When I became a Christian, no one said to me, oh, no, you must do this, you must do Well, not the ones that the Galatians said, but I, I, I was told things like this, uh, now no, you must have a quiet time. I thought, what's a quiet time? sounds quaint. What's a quiet time? Well, you've got, you must read your Bible. Okay. And you must say your prayers. Okay, okay. And um, really, I don't think you should dress like that. Oh, okay, sure, well, we're different, yeah, you're different. And do you have to do your hair like that? 
It was like, okay, got it. I got out there praying, read your Bible, change your clothes, do your hair different. Okay, I feel so wonderfully released by the gospel. Thank, <laughs> thank you so much. And Paul is saying, no, no, you're missing the point. You're missing the point. And, it, and he says things like this to the Romans. He says, Christ is the end of the law to everyone who believes. He says, sin shall not have dominion over you, since you're not under law, you're under grace. That's a big statement. You're not under law, you're under grace. Jesus said the law will never pass away. So are Christians under the law or not? If Jesus said the law will never pass away, and Paul says you're not under law, so who's right? That's a problem, isn't it? I wonder if I was to ask for a show of hands, and I won't. How many here think Christians are under the law? How many Christians think, no, we're not under the law? I think we, we might be, you know, not quite sure where we stand on that. And it's so important when many of us here are in leadership positions that we are striking a clear, clear note for those that we're serving. Because this is one of the things that ensnares people. So I'm just going to turn over the page to Romans chapter 7 and we'll look at the first half dozen verses because I think here Paul perhaps in the most succinct way sets out this. Now the whole of Galatians is about it. Well you'll find it also in Colossians, you'll find it all over the place, this, this teaching. But here in Romans 7 I think you've got a very distinct and succinct statement. So I'll just read it with you. Romans 7. Do you, not know, do you not know, brothers, I'm speaking to those who know the law, that the law has jurisdiction over a person as long as he lives? I mean, that sounds pretty final. For the married woman is bound by law to her husband while he's living. But if her husband dies, she's released from the law concerning the husband. So then, if while her husband's living, she's joined to another man, she should be called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she's free from the law so that she's not an adulteress, though she's joined to another man. Therefore, my brothers, you also were made to die to the law through the body of Christ, so that you might be joined to another, to him who was raised from the dead, in order that we might bear fruit for God. Verse 6. But now we've been released from the law, having died to that by which we were bound, so that we serve in newness of the spirit, not in oldness of the letter. All right, so Paul is using the analogy of marriage, and he's making it out that the law is like our husband. He has authority over us, he has jurisdiction over us. As long as we live, he's, he, is, he is our husband. He tells us what he requires. You should not do this, you should not do that. Uh, and he's the one who's in charge. That's, that's how it is. And, and you can't argue with him because he's right. You can't say, no, I disagree. The, the law is good and holy and good. You, you've got nothing to argue with. It's just that it kind of makes you feel somewhat locked in. In fact, we'll come back to this later, but the devil gets involved in this. You can't avoid the devil by not going downtown. You know, won't go down there, the devil's there. Now, the devil comes to you while you're praying, when you're reading the Bible, he's around. And he's called the accuser of the brothers and sisters and accuses them day and night. Well, that's what the Bible says. So I take it from that, that Satan's greatest weapon 
for the believer is accusation. It doesn't say he does anything else day or night. He says he does this day and night. He accuses. He says, you call yourself a Christian. Who do you think you are? He's always trying to put you down. Right? That's his chief weapon. He wants to condemn you. He wants to take away your joy. He wants to accuse you. That's who he is. Right? So he gets behind this. We'll come back to that later. But here's this husband. And he's making these holy requirements. And you can't argue with him. And also... He doesn't lift a finger to help you, this husband. This is what I require, but he doesn't come to your aid. He doesn't actually help you. So I don't want to see too many wives saying, I think I know who he's talking about, dear. No, look, it's, uh, this husband, he's right, he's good, you can't argue with him. He's never going to help you. And one more thing, he's never going to die. All right, so you're permanently stuck with this husband who is absolutely righteous and holy and true, and he's never going to die. So that's it. Ain't religion grand. I mean, here we are. We're stuck with this. And then Paul, in verse 4, says the most extraordinary thing. He says, Therefore, my brothers, you were made to die to the law through the body of Christ. Also, a death has happened. Yeah, you were made to die to the law through the body of Christ. What does that mean? It means through our identification with Christ, something profound has happened to us. Now, the word Christian only appears three times in the New Testament. You only find Christian three times. But you'll find in Christ all over the place. Again, in Christ, in him, in whom, in Christ, in Christ, in Christ. A Christian is someone who's in Christ. If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. And here he's talking about what happened to us because we are in Christ, through the body of Christ. Now Jesus had, if I can put it this way, two relationships with the law. The first one was perfect obedience. That was his life. He delighted to do the will of the Father. He was obedient. He said at the end of his ministry, which of you convinces me of sin? He says, the devil's coming. He's got nothing on me. The Bible calls him innocent, right? So Jesus lives a pure and innocent life. That's his first relationship with the law. Totally innocent. Then it says this, God made him who knew no sin to become sin for us. He became sin so that at the cross, Jesus becomes the personification of sin, lawlessness, guilt, this extraordinary exchange he took our place, he took our guilt, he took our shame as though he was the biggest lawbreaker there'd ever been. God made him to be sin. He's, he's the personification of guilt and shame and on the cross he is cursed, he dies, he's abandoned. The law is upheld, the price is paid, the law is vindicated, Jesus dies. And Paul says in Galatians, here in verse 4, you were made to die through the body of Christ. When Jesus died on the cross, so did we. We were discharged from the law. We were set free because Jesus fulfilled the law for us. And so Paul never says the law has passed away. He says you have. You have no longer relationship with the law. It's over. It's finished. It's done with. It's over. <laughs> I am no longer related to the law. God's done an incredible thing because Jesus fulfilled what the Bible says, that God would judge 
and Jesus took the punishment. So for us, judgment is behind, is dealt with, is finished. And then the wonderful thing it says in verse 4, you were made to die to the law through the body of Christ so that you might be joined to another. All right, so, hey, we've died to that husband in order that we might be married, because joined to is that same language, joined to another, to who? Well, to him who was raised from the dead. Who's that? Jesus. All right, so I'm no longer married to the law, but I'm married now to Christ. I've got a new husband. That's what Paul is saying. So we might be joined to another, we might bear fruit. Now, that's the first time that fruit has been mentioned. I'm now joined to a husband who will make me bear fruit. See, the law never did that. The law, Paul says in Galatians 3 and in verse 21, he says this, if a law had been given which was able to impart life, then righteousness would have come by the law. If a law had been given that could impart life, you see, if the law imparts life, let's just go out and tell them. Let's go out, let's get into the schools. Let's say to the teenagers, you shall not bear false witness. You shall not steal. Just tell them. Tell them the law and that'll change them. That'll make them different. That'll, they won't lie anymore. They won't cheat anymore. Just tell them. But the if a law had been given that could impart life, then of course righteousness would come by the law. But the law is an impotent husband. He doesn't impart any life. Now I'm married to this new husband who's been raised from the dead that I might bear fruit. I've found a husband who imparts life. He says things like this, my peace, I give you, <laughs> I give you. My joy, I give you. My love, I pour it out in your heart by the Holy Spirit. This is a life-imparting husband. The law didn't impart life. The law just told me what I was wrong. Told me what was required. Showed me the holy rule. It never imparted any life. It made me conscious of sin. It even made me want to rebel against sin. That's what Paul teaches. When the law came, sin revived, he says. It's almost like walking in a park. In London, we've got beautiful parks. You know, you're walking through St. James's Park. You're walking through a beautiful park. And you see the sign, keep off the grass. And there's something inside you says, whose grass is it? <laughs> it? It kind of, or like you say to your kids, I'm going to the shop, don't touch the cookies. The cookies? You know, it's like, don't, it's like the law, Paul says, the law not only doesn't impart life, it kind of stimulates rebellion. So the law can't make me holy. Now some people will say, hey, don't, hey you must have some law. Be careful, be careful preaching grace. You must have some law. Why? The law doesn't impart any life. It says in Hebrews, the law made nothing holy. The law made nothing holy. It doesn't do it. It can't do it. It's not meant to do it. It's meant to show you where you need to be, but it doesn't show you how to get there. We need this other husband. We need to be fellowshipping with him, enjoying him, abiding in him, as he says, now abide in me, stay in me. As a branch abides in the tree. You'll bear fruit. I'm a life-imparting husband. How do I become holy? Be with Jesus a lot. Be with, I see, sometimes you meet Christians, and, and this is what they're struggling with, beloved. They're struggling with, oh, I don't feel I'm very good. Because this accuses at them. 
and they're trying harder. And then sometimes you say, how's it going? Oh, I'm a bit up and down. Not so much up and down, I think it's like husband to husband. Christians live husband to husband. They say, well, I'm not doing very well. I'm so sorry, Lord Jesus. I wish I was doing better. Um, I tell you what, I'll do this, I'll do this, I'll do this. You know, I'll really develop my relationship with my old husband to improve our relationship, right? Doesn't work, eh? Try that in the world. You've got a new husband. I'll really develop the relationship over here. That's not the way. See, I don't need a way to the way. He is the way. And even to the Laodicean church that's lukewarm, Jesus says, I'm outside. I'm knocking the door. And if any of you will really keep these things going, I'll relax. No, no, no. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I'll come into him. I'll sup with him. He's the way. He's the way. That's the way we relate. That's the, you say, you know, you don't do these things anymore? You mean you don't read the Bible? Oh, yeah, I read the Bible all the time. I love reading the Bible. But I'm not reading the Bible to impress God. I'm not saying, look, whole chapter this morning, Lord, pretty good. Okay, I'm okay, I've read the chapter. See, that's what can happen. You must read the Bible. I read it, I read it, I did it, a chapter. Hey, I prayed half an hour. Impressive? That's imp- no, no. I have found someone who's already impressed God on my behalf. I love prayer. I love prayer. I don't pray to impress God. I pray to get the things done. I pray to enjoy being with Him. I love prayer. It's a sheer joy. But I am not doing it to try and impress. That's all over. And all, all that externalism to try and gain. See, that was the problem with the Pharisees. They, they prayed publicly that it was to impress. Jesus, is a waste of time. God is impressed with the obedience of his son. He thinks his son is wonderful. And I'm hidden him, in him. Amen? So it's so important, beloved, we're not trying to impress God with rule keeping. It's all over. We have died to that husband that we might be joined to this husband that we might bear fruit. So I never go back. It's like, I'm so sorry I got it wrong. The way forward is not, I will set myself these rules to live by. That isn't the answer. Jesus is the answer, always. Always is the one. You see, our problem is that we fight with condemnation. That's the battle. I feel condemned. Satan will try and condemn you. He'll accuse you. And we try to answer condemnation with sanctification, which is not what sanctification is for. It's like, if I can put it this way, say this right arm represents my awareness of falling short of the standard I'd like to be. And I try to answer it with my sanctification or with my kind of, well, I'm praying a bit longer. Satan comes and says, what do you do? Well, I'm praying a bit more. I'm reading my Bible a bit more. I'm trying to justify myself. You see, Paul says the tragedy of his contemporaries is they're trying to establish a righteousness based on their own works instead of the righteousness that comes from Christ. So, you know, I'm praying, I'm reading my Bible, and, and Satan comes and he says, I'm doing better. I'm really keeping up my Bible reading. I'm really praying. I'm doing all these things. And then he says, have you heard about Margaret? No, what about Margaret? She fasts twice a week. You think, oh, no, fast twice a week. So you then say, oh, I'm praying, I'm reading my Bible, I'm fasting twice a week. Then Satan comes and says, how are you doing? I'm doing better, thank you. 
I'm reading my Bible, I'm praying, I'm fasting twice a week. I expect you're pleased with it. Yes, I am pleased with myself. I expect you're proud. Yes, I am. Oh no, I'm proud. <laughs> See, some Christians, they think, it's too tough. If you're doing badly, you're doing badly. If you're doing your well, you're doing badly. They're trying to deal with... You see, sanctification wasn't to deal with condemnation. There's one thing to deal with condemnation. It's called justification. Totally covers it. Our guilt is gone. We celebrate it. There's no condemnation. It's enjoying that reality that sets us free from performance religion. We don't go that way. That's what Paul is saying. We reign in life through the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness. So if we don't get hold of that, we're forever trying harder. We need to enjoy the wonder, celebrate the wonder of his grace towards us. If you don't get hold of this, it'll be, it'll be like if I can pretend to be uh, the wife of somebody here, right? I'll say tomorrow morning we get up and say, Lord, bless my husband. I'm praying for my husband at work today. I thank you, Lord. He's such a bright Christian. I, Lord, he's been tired lately. I help him in the workplace. Let, he, let his light shine and really be with him, Lord. I, I'm really concerned. I think he's a bit depressed. and I think I'm going to try and bless him. Uh, yeah, I'll, I'll get a surprise meal going. That'd be nice. I'll, I'll pop down the shop. I'll get a steak. I know I'll get a steak. I'll really surprise him. That'd be such fun. I'll, I'll have a nice evening. Oh, I'm supposed to be praying, aren't I? Oh, yeah, I was praying. Um, uh, yes, I'm praying. Uh, Lord, um, uh, bless the missionary. Uh, the missionary supper on, uh, on, um, on Friday night uh, as the missionaries come. And tell us about what they're doing uh, in there in Uganda. And Lord, I, 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 I pray for you. You're really blessed that supper. Oh yeah, I said I'd do, I said I'd do the salad. I haven't got the salad, I need to get the salad. Oh, perhaps I could get the salad. I get the salad at the same time I'll get the steak. Oh yeah, I could, get, I could pop down to the supermarket. Yeah, I know, I could do it. And then Satan comes with, oh mighty woman of intercession, are you prevailing in the heavenlies? And you think, prevailing, I'm useless. I try and pray and my brain goes out the window. Oh God, I'm a terrible Christian. I'm a terrible Christian. Uh, let me see, you know, uh, I better read my Bible. Where was that? My, uh, my Bible reading? Yeah, I remember I got to Leviticus, didn't I? And there I was, yeah. Just working my way through it. And uh, yeah, the priest shall remove all the fat of the bull of the sin offering and the fat that covers the entrails and all the fat which is in the entrails and the two kidneys with the fat that's on them, which is on the loins, and the lobe of the liver, which you shall remove with the kidneys. <laughs> you see, and then Satan says, getting a lot out of it, are we? And you say, I don't know what it's all about. I am a terrible Christian. See, that, that's, that's how, because I didn't pray very well, I didn't, leave. beloved, that isn't how I relate to God. Everyone knows times of prayer which are difficult. That is not how my standing. I love it when I feel freedom. I find sometimes I don't feel freedom, but I'm not going to take condemnation from that. Because I'm in one who's amazingly impressed God. So you don't go there. And there are passages that are difficult. I've just worked my way through Ezekiel. It's not fun. Some wonderful chapters. But some of it, oh wow. Some of the times you're in, you think, wow, wonderful stuff. 
But that isn't good. I'm not going to take my temperature as though that's who I am as a Christian, how well I did that. But as I said just now, that doesn't stop me getting it. I love the word. I love praying. But I'm not going to let that be my pulse. So how am I? I'm not a very good Christian. No, 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 no. It's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. And I will grow in grace as I understand his word more and as I pray more. But that isn't going to affect my standing before him. He's done a wonderful thing for us. We reign in life because of the abundance of grace. We've got to shift our stance into that. We don't judge our walk with God on our performance. We relate to God through what he has done and we build from that as we'll see in the next session. But this is the foundation. If we don't, and lots of believers have not got this settled. And so they go to and fro and they, they allow Satan's accusations to get right through to them. And they're trying to find their way. I remember once when I was, I was praying, and, and you know, you're trying to pray and you think, Lord, I'm trying to impress you, as it were. And this honestly happened to me. I felt God reminded me of when Isaac, who by this time had got blind, is being approached by his kind of crook son, Jacob. Uh, and Jacob is a cunning rascal. And, and uh, Isaac has a son he loves. Uh, uh, his name is Esau and Esau's off hunting somewhere so Jacob gets his clothes uh, and puts them on and he puts skins around his wrists and around his neck because his brother's a hairy guy and, and, he, and he comes to his father hoping against hope that his father won't realise hey what are you doing in there you're hidden in the sun I love what are you doing and I felt, honestly, I was praying one day and I felt God said to me, don't fear, I'll find you hiding in the sun that I love. I placed you in the sun that I love. And Ephesians chapter 1 says, we're accepted in the sun that he loves and we receive all spiritual blessings in the sun that he loves. See, we don't earn Sometimes people come and say, would you pray for me about the Holy Spirit? I don't know if I'm worthy. You think, of course you're not worthy. When are you going to be worthy? How long is it going to take to be worthy? No, we receive every spiritual blessing in the Son that he loves. Hallelujah. So I come and say, Father, Father, just like, like the, 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 uh, Isaac in his blindness, he can feel these clothes, he can feel his skin, he can catch the fragrance. And I come to God and say, Lord, Catch the obedience of your son. His triumph in Gethsemane. His determination to please you. His battle, his blood. Lord, I'm coming hidden in that. Wow. I'm accepted in that. That's what God's done for us. We enjoy that. We celebrate that. And we understand God will accept it. That's the whole deal. We couldn't do it. He did it. And he covers us and says, come there in the son that I love. Hallelujah. It frees us, absolutely frees us. Now even the, in the Old Testament when they had to bring their lamb to the priests, they had to find a perfect lamb. They couldn't say, well that one, I don't need that one, it's diseased, we can't use it anyway, let's give it to God. No, 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 you had to bring a perfect lamb, spotless. And so they, they bring the perfect lamb. And when you bring your perfect lamb, you're not, you're not worrying, will, will the priest notice this is all torn? I've got all mud down here. We're not interested in you. We're looking at the lamb. All eyes are on the lamb. 
And the priest is saying, any broken limbs? Is it blind? Is it what? No, and then he will say these words, I find no fault in him. Hallelujah. You find nothing wrong with my lamb. I'm accepted. I'm accepted because there's nothing wrong with my lamb. I reign in life because of the abundance of grace, the free gift, the free gift of righteousness. John Bunyan, the famous author, said one day he was feeling dejected and he, and he said he saw a vision of Christ as his righteousness. And he said, in that moment I understood it didn't depend on my frame, he says. We said, well, his frame is in that, that, that hymn when we dare not trust the sweetest frame. It, it means my frame of mind, how I feel. He said, I realized in that time I, it didn't depend on my frame. That Jesus Christ is my righteousness. I can't add to that. I can't take away from that. He's my righteousness and he's the same yesterday, today and forever. He's my righteousness. So when I wake up tomorrow morning, he's my righteousness. Even if I sleep through my quiet time, he's my righteousness. See that? We need to know that. Oh gosh, I slept through it. No, no. You see, sometimes, oh, I slept through my quiet time. That means I probably missed a bus. I'll have a terrible day. Don't think like that, all right? We understand that Jesus has done it. He's my righteousness. We celebrate it. It says in Hebrews that none of the priests could sit down because they never stopped offering another offering. They, they kill one another, they kill another one. Then it says, Jesus, when he had done everything needful, sat down. He said, he has perfected us for all time. Wow. We have been perfected for all time. It's a great place to be. We are the righteousness of God in Christ. Beloved, this is the, this is the, the groundwork. For, and, and, and tragically, people don't kind of get hold of that. They feel it's up to my performance. And they make Christianity like any other morality religion. It's about a saviour who has rescued us absolutely and made us righteous as a gift. He sets us free. One last verse and then we'll have a little gap for the second session. It says uh, in verse 14 of chapter 5, Adam is a type of him who was to come. Adam is a type. Now, the Old Testament, you get many types. You, 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 you could say David is a type of Christ, a great warrior king. Uh, you could say that, uh, some people say the ark is a type of Christ. You have to be inside for salvation. But Adam is a type. We don't tend to think of Adam as a type because Adam's a sinner. But the Bible says he's a type of Christ. In what way? Well, the whole of Romans 5 is about this. He's a type of Christ because what he did affected us. When he sinned, we all, who came from that room, we're born of the flesh. That's all we are. We're born of the flesh. We're children of disobedience. That's our character. We are children of Adam. That's it. You're stuck with it. You have to get born again to get out of that. You can't say, well, I'll get out of Adam. I'll try hard. It's like I'll go, down to the, I'll go down to the street and there's always a little child there wants to cross the road. There's a little old grandmother. Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Let's just wait, wait. Uh, the road's clear. Okay, over we go. Go, go. Have a good day. Oh, you'd like to go the other way. Okay. 
Come with me. Yeah, oh, you'd like to? Right, let's go back. Okay, hold on. Wait, wait. Oh, right, let's go. Over you go. Have a good day. Oh, another. You know, you could spend all day and all your righteousness is as one or two know the Bible, filthy rags. Filthy rags. One of the Puritans said, all your acts of righteousness are just glorious sins. Because you're still in Adam. Adam's a type of Christ. You could do all this stuff. It doesn't help. You need to be born again. You've got to get out. It's the only way you can get out is have another birth, born from above. He's a type of Christ. When you're in Christ, hey, I'm in Christ now. Hey, I can go down to the street and there's a, a grandmother there. Hey, excuse me, on oh, my way, just crossing the road. <laughs> hey, what are you doing? Hey, I'm a righteous granny basher. <laughs> See, it didn't take me out of Christ. So I'm still righteous. Wow, that's the most dangerous thing I've ever heard. <laughs> what are you saying? I'm saying kind of what Paul said. And so, so, I mean, the question, shall we carry on sinning then? Oh, that's what it says next in Romans 6. See, the implications of the gospel are so staggering. Shall we carry on sinning then? See, we're discharged from the law. It says in verse 7, chapter 7, in verse 6, we've been discharged from the law. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones gives the illustration of a soldier who's, who's done national service, and say you do two years of national service, my brother did that, two years of national service, and for two years you do whatever the sergeant tells you to do. Right, left, turn, do that. Yeah, 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 yeah. Then you are discharged. It's all over. Thank goodness I'm out of here. And, and he imagines the, the, the discharged soldier walking across the parade ground. He's got no tie on. He's got his jacket over his shoulder. He's thrown across. And the sergeant comes around the corner. He says, soldier. Say, ah, soldier. He says, wait a minute. I'm out of here. <laughs> Bye, Sarge. And he can shout and get the veins standing up on his neck. He can't touch you. You are discharged. I'm discharged from the law. I'm in, a, I'm in a different process now. I've been given a righteousness because of Jesus' incredible obedience. That's why we love him so much. And because he's given me his righteousness. I don't depend on works that I do related to law. I don't depend on that anymore. It's over, it's finished. I'm a new creation in Christ. There is no condemnation. That's what the Bible says. That's what the Bible says. And we'll see in the next session Paul's answer to, well, shall we carry on sinning then? I mean, that's the question that comes up. Logical. This is a logical epistle. It says, well, you're free, you're righteous. You don't need the law. Shall we carry on sinning then? He asks the question. The Bible, you see, some people say, well, it's so dangerous. What about? Hey, the Bible answers it. It's there in the Bible. Paul says, well, shall we carry on sinning then? And we'll see what he says in the next session. But we must help our, the people we serve to understand grace, to walk in freedom, to know, hey, we've been declared righteous as a gift because of the obedience of Jesus. Because he obeyed the law perfectly, but suffered terribly, and judgment is over, it's done, it's finished. He fulfilled the law. The law carries on 
We don't abandon the law. The law is good, Paul says, provided you use it lawfully, knowing it's not for the righteous, but for sinners. It's not that we abandon the law. The law is good, Paul says, provided you use it lawfully. It's not for the righteous, it's for sinners. They need to hear what God's holy laws are. We keep preaching the law, but it doesn't change us. Jesus changes us. The new covenant, not the letter that kills, the spirit that gives life. Father, thank you for our opportunity to be together. We want you to please shape us by your truth. Let it keep coming and setting us free, we pray. Bless us, bless our fellowship. Own this day. May it be a great day together. I pray that some, some might find life changed. Amen. I, I, I preached um, something like this in a place called Constantia in Cape Town in South Africa. And it was a very hot, sunny day. Um, people were in a tent. It's quite a big conference. And uh, I preached this kind of a message. And uh, a lady, I remember this couple came up to a great big Afrikaans guy and uh, his wife. And she was in a navy blue suit and had a hat and shoes and looked very smart. And uh, everybody was in shorts and stuff. It was very hot. And she came up to me, I mean, very sweetly, uh, and she said, it's kind of tears, she said, is what you've just said true? I said, I said I've just gone verse by verse. Yeah, it's what the Bible says. She said, I've been a Christian as long as I can remember. I've never heard that before. And we just paused for a moment and talked a little and prayed a little. I, I was down there again a year later. And I saw this great Afrikaans guy. He stood out, he's a huge guy. I saw him walking towards me. And I saw this lady next to him. And she's all smiley. And he came up to me and said, it's like I've got a new wife. <laughs> the grace of God sets us free. God's lavish grace. Can I just mention the book that's out there? It will help you. We can only cut touch a bit of this. Uh, in one morning, but uh, I would urge you perhaps take advantage of that book being there. Okay.